church and uh, we've got a good crowd this morning. Appreciate that and uh, looking forward to what the Lord has for us. Appreciate the Spirit of God already in the service and appreciate Sunday school lesson this morning. That was good and um, he didn't, I guess he was um, somehow um, hacked into my uh, iPad, my phone last night, I guess. I don't know. Um, I'm not preaching this this morning, but I was studying a verse. And um, can I give this to you real quick? I probably won't be able to preach it this week anyways, unless the Lord directs me back here. He read a verse, I believe, was you in Mark or Matthew? Matthew, Matthew 15. Okay, that's what I thought. Matthew 15, verse number 9. Here's what, uh, verse number 8, this is the verse before that. You know what they're talking about. They're, they're, they're confusing truth with tradition. That's what they're doing. All right? And um, the, the Pharisees are upset because the disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate, which apparently was a big crime uh, to that religious crowd. And uh, so we'd all be wicked sinners, I guarantee you. I'm about to dig in right now, I can tell you that. Um, and we know, and God starts talking to him, Lord Jesus Christ, he's, he starts talking to him about the, the law of God and he uses honoring the father and their mother as an example and they figured out a way to get around it without, without it being disobeying the commandments, what they pretty much did. So what they've done is they've taken tradition and they've twisted it against the commandments of God and made it the commandments of men. That's what they've done. And, uh, and the Lord says this in verse number 7. He said, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's what he said. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. But in vain they do worship me. But they are worshiping. I can't explain this. But last night this really started digging deep in my heart. I can't explain the fact that people who do not live by the word of God, they just they, they have found a way to appease their conscience and twisted truth to such a degree they can live however they want to, do whatever they want to, still go to church, and they'll have more of a spirit, if you want to call it that, of worship than a church that actually believes the Bible. Now, that's hard to explain. It really is. Because if I'm not walking in truth, my heart's grieved. Because the spirit of truth dwells inside of you. He's going to lead you and guide you in all truth. So when you're out of truth, you're, you're not walking in the spirit. So I don't know how you worship. You've got to worship him in spirit and in truth. And this generation, this religious crowd, he said, boy, you, you got a lot of good things to say about me. You're honoring me. That's what they're doing. They're honoring him. They've lifted him up and they have worshipped him. But he said, it's, it's all fruitless. It's not going to do you any good come judgment day. And here's what's interesting. But in vain they do worship me, comma. How are they worshiping him? Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's how they're worshipped. They have worshipped him with their heart. 
teaching for doctrines their own tradition. And God said that right there is vain. It is fruitless. And come judgment day, their worship is going to be empty. You must worship Him in spirit. Absolutely. But and in truth. That don't mean that I'm saying words that are just found in the Bible. That doesn't mean that I'm worshiping Him, quoting Scripture, and you can do all of that. What that means is, is you're worshiping Him while your life is matching up with the truth that God's given you. No matter what that truth is. And the moment you step out of line with truth is the moment I believe worship becomes vain. Shout all you want to, worship all you want to, cry all you want to, throw your hands up all you want to. And it does honor Him. He said they worship me. They honor me with their lips. They, they draw nigh to me with their, with their mouth. But it's all in vain. That's serious, brother. That is serious. And so I trust when we worship Him, as uh, has been the theme this morning, I trust when we worship Him, we uh, will search our hearts and make sure we're worshiping Him in truth. Amen. Genesis chapter number 3 is where I want to be at this morning. I'm going to read just a couple of verses, and I know you've been standing thus far. Let me get a couple of verses and uh, shift gears here and uh, give you something that the Lord has nudged a heart about bringing to your attention this morning. It's more like a Sunday school lesson, but um, if the Lord will get in it, we'll preach a little while, all right? But Genesis chapter number 3 the darkest, as it's been said by my pastor, the darkest hour of mankind is right here in Genesis chapter number 3, where mankind has sinned in the garden. Sin has just entered into the world, and um, mankind is now a depraved being. Now, as we consider what's taking place, we could read this entire chapter, but we understand that man has hid himself from God. God is searching him out. And uh, finally, understanding that you can't do wrong and get by, uh, Adam and Eve uh, revealed their self, and immediately uh, the blame game was started to be played. And uh, it is the blame game that's been passed down uh, from man to man to man. It's the woman. That's who it is. That is who it is. So we can blame everything, right? The, every problem you got, you can blame it on the woman, it, man. So he said, he said, Lord, he said, Lord, the, the, the woman whom thou gavest to be uh, with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, verse number 13, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. And of every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So the reason why the woman is under the submission to her husband is because of the curse. You messed up, ladies. Sorry. Now you've got to deal with it. Amen. I'm just picking. Y'all can take a joke. It's all right. Although it is in the Bible. So. <laughs> 
And then Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, you got in trouble, Adam. Because thou hearkenest, and man, there is preaching right there if I've ever had some preaching to do. Because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Curses the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. We'll stop right there. Uh, I'm going to go back to verse number 15 where we'll take our text. Father, we thank you for the day. Thank you for the privilege that it is. Be saved by the grace of God. We thank you for another opportunity that you've given us, dear Lord, to be in your house. We thank you for the privilege we have to preach this morning. And we ask humbly for the touch of God that we do not deserve, Lord, nor can we manufacture. It simply has to be manifested by the grace of God and, Lord, your mercy. We plead the blood upon this service. We plead the blood upon our heart and life. We realize our failures, our shortcomings, and so, Lord, we plead that you would have mercy, forgive us, cleanse us, wash us, make us righteous in the sight of the Lord, a vessel unto honor that you can pour your Spirit out upon, and let us be used now. Lord, even this week, may we be used of the hand of God. I pray that your will will be accomplished in the service. Give us the delight that we need to walk in, save sinners, reclaim the backslidden, revive your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing and you can be seated. I want to deal with this text and uh, again, there's a lot to be said here, but um, since what I've already said has got me in the doghouse, we'll just keep on rolling. I'm just picking. Amen. But I want to deal with uh, verse number 15 where God is passing out judgment upon the serpent. Look at what he said, verse number 14. Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above, and above every beast of the field and upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Let me stop right here and say this. The serpent, of course is the representation of Satan. It was, it is in this text, the creation of God that God had put upon this earth and this creation became the tool of which Satan used to, to tempt Eve. Uh, and, and the serpent became and yielded itself you see its conversation, its will, and everything about the serpent. It yielded itself to be used of the devil. I don't know what the devil may have promised. I don't have a clue. But whatever he used to have the serpent to yield itself to be used of the devil to bring about sin upon this earth... Now the judgment's being passed upon him. And when I read this, I made this statement. My pastor went on and he preached the message out of that statement without giving me any credit whatsoever. Uh, as <laughs> He really did. He really did. But he said he got it a few weeks before I said anything. But that's all right. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But here's what I noticed upon in that, in that text, verse number 14. This serpent being the tool that Satan used to tempt Eve, notice what happens to anyone who will yield themselves to the devil. On thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. 
all you've got for the rest of your life, an individual who yields all Satan has to offer you is to put your nose to dust and have you breathe it and eat it all the day. Of course, you understand what dust represents? It's flesh. All, you, all you'll ever have is flesh. All you, it'll never satisfy you. It'll never bring about contentment in your life. Any, any individual that has ever yielded themselves to be used of the devil, it has always cost them greatly. You think about the serpent, you think about David, you think about Judas, Judas the devil, he was a devil from the beginning, he was used of the devil and it cost every single one of them very, very greatly. And so you need to understand that Satan and sin don't pay, amen. Now as we begin to think about what's taking place now, we understand that there's a spiritual prophecy that's fixing to be given. In verse number 15, we find that I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. As far as I can find, this is the first prophecy of the word of God uh, that is portraying, if you will, what is to come. And uh, my, what is to come. Amen. It's a whole lot better uh, than where we're at right now in this text. Now, as we consider what's taking place in verse number 15, I want you to notice a couple of things by way of introduction. I'm going to get to where I need to be. He said, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Notice this, and I just thought of this. Notice what he said about between thy seed and her seed. Notice it's the woman's seed. It's not the man. It is the woman's seed. If you, if you look at this prophecy and understand all that is fixing to take place, he has just given you the prophecy telling you that our Lord, is going to be virgin born. It's right there in this text. It is her seed. Man had been tainted. He has fallen. And God has now chosen. It is going to be the seed of the Holy Ghost. With the, with the virgin woman. And that is going to produce the Lord Jesus Christ. Now as we consider what's taking place. Let us notice the characters of this text. One, we see between thee and the woman, we see Satan is being represented. We see Eve is being represented. Now, of course, serpent, Satan being represented, Eve is the woman, and it represents the human race. Between thy seed and her seed, these are all the characters that are taking place. The seed of the serpent, of course, is the world. The, uh, John, let me give you an example. John chapter number 8, verse number 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be free, and be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant of the Bible, not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I've seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. Look at what he's saying now. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father, Jesus saith unto him, if ye be Abraham's children, ye will do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then they said, then said they to him, 
We be not be born, we be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said unto the if God were your Father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? Now, here is the solution. Here is the reason. Ye are of your father the devil. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not into the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. You are, the the world is being represented here, this lost generation, the lost mankind being represented in that phrase, thy seed, the serpent seed. It is the father of uh, the devil being the devil and we are as lost individuals, the children of the devil. Amen. Now, Matthew chapter 23, verse number 33. Here's what Jesus said. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell. He called them the generation of vipers, the seed to the serpent. First John 3 eight. he that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So we understand here that there's the characters we see, thy seed, her seed represented in Christ. He is the seed, it is who, and uh, that is he. He is the seed of the woman, Christ, and whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Amen. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse number 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth in the body forever. So the believer himself can represent uh, be represented in that seed of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, the seed of the woman. Now, we find that the characters are set. We find Satan is represented, Eve, mankind, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice the conflict that's fixing to arise. Look at what he says in this prophecy. I will put enmity between thee and the woman. I am going to put enmity. That word means hatred variance, division. It means that they are become an enemy, if you will. Enmity between the serpent and the woman. Now, you could look at this in several different ways. We could look at this literally. That there is going to be a hatred between the woman and the serpent on a a literal uh, basis. How many of you ladies love snakes? No hands? None. How many of y'all hate snakes? Yeah. You hate snakes. That is something that's just very natural. It's very, very natural. And we could, we could preach this in, in that regard. And there is the disdain uh, for that snake. You're just scared of them. The truth is, they're more scared of you than you are of them. At least that's what they tell me. But I ain't never believed that one. <laughs> Man. But there is enmity. There is, there is, a, I hate snakes. I hate everything to do with snakes. Amen. And, uh, and uh, they, they, uh, they scare me a whole lot more than I do scare them, I guarantee you. Uh, but anyways, as we consider that enmity between the two that's taking place, we step to another level. It's not just that she now becomes scared of the snake. No, no, no. They, they, he's talking about a spiritual level. 
and a spiritual hatred between thee and the woman. Now here's what's taking place. Eve has just sinned, Brother Ben. Eve has just led her husband to sin. And by his disobedience, he has plunged the human race into sin. And now they are being judged. Now, the serpent has just been judged. The woman is in transition of getting her judgment and she has a pretty good feeling what's fixing to happen. And now he says, I am going to put enmity. I will put. In other words, I'm fixing to do it. I'm going to do it right now. I'm fixing to do it in the future as well. Here's what happened. Eve, as she received that judgment that was to be passed down to her, all of a sudden as she hears the verdict of what her sin, of what the lie of that serpent is now costing her, man, something starts stirring up inside of her where she starts hating that serpent. There's a disgust for that serpent. There's a hatred for that serpent. And then when she realizes that it's not only going to cost her childbearing and it's not only going to have great sorrow that's going to be passed on to her, but it's going to cost her the garden. It's going to cost her the presence of God. It's going to cost her having fellowship with the voice of the Lord. When she realized the ultimate cost of what her sin is going to do to her, what that serpent has now cost her, she hates it. She hates everything he stands for. Let me tell you something about salvation. When the Holy Ghost starts convicting an individual about your sin, when you realize that it's your sin that's costed you the presence of God, when you realize it's your sin that's sending you straight to a devil's hell, when you realize it's your sin that'll break apart your marriage, when you realize it's your sin that'll cost you your children, when you realize it's your sin that'll separate you from every good thing that's in this world, I'm telling you deep inside of your soul there'll be something say I hate everything to do with sin. That's on, that's on a spiritual level. That's on a literal level. You find men that lost their been beaten because they had a drunk daddy they'll hate liquor. They'll hate liquor. You find someone that their life's been ransacked by drugs they'll hate everything to do with drugs. You know why? Because they understand in their mind that that sin, that lifestyle has cost them dearly and they despise it. You listen to me? Man, when I was a seven-year-old boy, I realized it was my lying, my cheating, my stealing, amen. It was my disobedience that was sending me to a devil's hell. And when I realized what my sin was costing me, when I realized what the devil was trying to do to me, I hate it. I hated my sin. Amen. It's called repentance. Yes, sir. Amen. Repentance ain't just repentance ain't just you. And I understand it's a choice, but it ain't just a choice to turn from sin. I just let it go. No, no, no. It is a rejection of everything that it stands for. Yes, sir. Amen. I hate sin. Every child of God that gets saved by the grace of God, you'll hate your own sin. I hated my sin that was sending me to hell. I hate my sin now. The sin that I struggle with now. And we all have that struggle. But I'm telling you to the child of God, you will hate sin. 
It is a conflict. It is an enmity that God put deep inside of your hardware as a child of God when you got born again. Amen. There's a conflict. There's, there's variance with sin. There's also a variance with the world. Between thy seed and her seed. Let me tell you something. It's still in the Bible. An individual that's a friend of the world, he's an enemy of God. Now, I don't know why we love to do this, but we love to call compromise with the world. We love showing friendliness to the world. And I understand you have to reach them. But I'm here to tell you, deep inside of your heart, you need to understand this world's against everything that you are for. And you're against everything that they're for and vice versa every which way. You're on completely opposite sides. Amen. We're to love them. We're to have mercy. We're supposed to reach out with long suffering. And I preach it. I believe it. Amen. We're all, that's our part to do. But you need to understand this world don't think like you, don't believe like you. And everything that you stand for, this world hates it. This world hates it. And so, but, and it's, again, this is natural. This should never come as a surprise. If the world hates you. He didn't. He told him, he said, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you too. There's no, shouldn't take you by surprise. This has been founded from the beginning. From the moment man sinned in the garden, God told him, he said, I'm going to put enmity between thy seed and her seed. And there's a conflict, a great spiritual battle that has now began. I'm telling you, let me tell you something. It deals with salvation. It deals with the world and society. It deals, listen to me, it deals with your own sanctification, child of God. And I already mentioned it just a little bit. But if you're saved by the grace of God, let me ask you a question. Do you remember, you remember hating sin when you got saved? Do you remember, Brother John, when you hated sin? Do you hate sin like you used to? It's good, Brother Keith. It's good. The sin, the sin, Brother John, that was ransacking your life do you hate it like you used to? Or do we play with it? Do we toy with it? Are we very passive to it? Understanding to it? Are you listening? Let me tell you something. Satan declared war. And this gets bigger than me. But Brother Ben, Satan declared war upon God's creation when he engaged the serpent. And when he found a willing vessel that he could utilize to engage mankind and plunge really God's creation, his image, that's what he was created for, was that he would be the image of God upon this earth and bring God glory through that, through that image. When he attacked that, notice Brother John, he did not attack with an army. Are you listening? He is not overpowering Adam and Eve. He's not strong arming them. You know what he's doing? He's talking. Satan engaged and, and, and won, overpowered the will of the woman and the man. But he used the weaker vessel here. Not with the power of will, with the power of words.
It is the power of wiles, the trickery, the lies, the deceit of the devil, the fantasies and fallacies, the falsities that we are equipped. Now as a child of God, that's, and you need to understand, that's how he fought from the, in the beginning. He ain't changed that. It is still, it is still lies that he's telling you. It is still the fantasies that he's painting for you. It is still false, falsities that he is promoting that you as a child of God are engaged to fight against. He said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to say, be, to war, to, to, to arm yourself against the wiles of the devil. Not the power, not the armies, not the weapons. The treachery, the, the trickery, the deceiving ability that Satan has. He used it to plunge mankind into sin and he is still using the same method, the same tactics to send men to hell and to cost the children of God every spiritual blessing that comes from being saved. There is a battle. There is a conflict. That is raging. So fight we must. Fight we must. Christ is the first fruits of that enmity. But afterward they that are Christ. You get in Christ. You get to be part of that enmity. Now that don't sound too good. But if you really start to think about that you're on the winning side. It sounds really good all of a sudden. Amen. Afterward they are the Christ. The feud is hereditary. Inextinguishable. Spiritual and eternal. The church on earth is the church militant or soldiering. The other wing to this grand army is the church triumphant. Those who remain in body wield the sword. Those in heaven, they wave the palm and wear the crown. But for the believer, the business at hand is not heaven, but it's holiness. Amen. The duty of the soldier is to stand where they are placed. Strike as long as they see our foe until the trumpet sound calling the weary to rest. Our part is to fight in this conflict. So fight we must. Amen. Now, that's all my introduction. Let me give you the message. There is a conflict that God's promised. Enmity between thee and the woman. Thy seed and her seed. It's been passed down. We're a part of that conflict. Now I want you to notice that word it. It referring to who? H-U. And that meaning he. He. Singular. Shall bruise thy head. And thou. Shalt bruise his heel. A prophecy concerning. What was going to take place. To this serpent. And all that he represented. A prophecy of what finally was going to. Reveal his end. I want you to notice what he said. It shall bruise. He shall bruise thy head. That word bruise there means to crush. In other words, the blow that he is going to bring upon the serpent's head is a final blow. It is a crushing blow. It is a heavy blow. And it's a final blow. Amen. 
That is the blow that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to provide at Calvary. When he said it is finished, amen, he meant it, amen. Sin was finished, the devil was finished, it was over, death had lost its victory, the grave had lost its victory, death had lost its sting. It was final when Jesus Christ said it's finished, he gave up the ghost, sacrificed himself, and by that sacrifice he crushed Satan's head. Amen. The sting of sin is lost. Why? Because death has been defeated. Amen. The sting of sin was death. I'm telling you. And the power of sin, of course, was the law. But he took the law, put it on the cross. He died in his body and he put to death, death himself. Amen. And my friend, death is now lost. It's sting. The grave, it's victory. Jesus Christ rose triumphant with sin and the serpent finished. Now, he crushed his head. Let me give you this. I'm, I'm going somewhere. He crushed his head, Brother Jason. The very power of the serpent was finished at Calvary. You need to understand this. This will give you some boldness in serving the Lord. Miss Morgan, he finished. The only thing about that serpent had was the power he had to bite. The power of that serpent's in the head. He finished that power. It's done. Sin's finished. Amen. All you see now, as dark as it's getting, all this is is just a downward spiral from his bite toward mankind in the beginning. This shouldn't take you off guard at all. It's going to get bad. The poison is spreading. Jesus Christ came to save, seek and save that which was lost and the poison he can take out of you. But if you're not saved by the grace of God, amen, it's just going to get worse. It's going to get darker. It's going to get more depraved. So we're just seeing the effect of what he did in the garden. But the serpent, he's done. He's finished. He can't do anything else. His power is gone because of Calvary. You get a hold of that, Brother Jason, that'll give you victory, hallelujah. That'll give you something to shout when you ain't, when, when you ain't got, when everything has been dried up in your life and you get to understanding that sin is defeated, Satan is already finished, it's already done, the battle's won, it was won at Calvary, you can live in victory. He bruised his head, he crushed his head, and he finished sin. Now I want to give you this and I'm done. And this is the message. I want you to notice what he said. He said, he shall bruise thy head. He's going to finish you. But thou, thou shalt bruise his heel. But that word bruise there, Brother Ben, don't mean to crush. That word there means to strike as a serpent would strike an individual. So what's taking place at Calvary is the Lord Jesus Christ took his heel and he crushed the head of the serpent. But at the moment he crushed the serpent's head and sin was finished, 
You can find forgiveness for your sin today. Mercy avails today. The grace of God is sufficient no matter your sin today because he finished it. At the same time, the serpent struck his heel and bruised him. I want to look at that bruised heel. Three things that I believe that heel represents. Number one, it represents, put your thinking cap on with me now. It represents his humanity. It represents his humanity. The contact that was made with sin could only be experienced by this God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The only way that's experienced is if he was made just like you and me. And it was through that channel of his humanity that he's now to, able to experience, Miss Whitney, the pain and the suffering and the heartache, the struggles of temptation, the testing. He's able to experience everything just like you and me. Yet he's without sin. He was a holy God, never sinned. He was without sin. He said, he said, he thought it not, Rob. He said, he said, this might be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not, Rob, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a serpent, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto, the, unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name above, which is, which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things, in, uh, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He also said in Romans 8, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That heal represents to you and me his humanity. It represents, that is the only, you understand, that's the only channel that Satan had to get a hold of the Son of God. That was the only way. That was the only way he could imbibe, but it was through his humanity that he's able to experience loneliness. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. Amen. He had no, he had no home. He had no pillow to lay his head. He didn't, he experienced everything uh, that would be pitiful of, of this world to experience. He's experienced great temptation. That's how Satan was enabled. By the way, when Satan engaged, this is another message, but when Satan engaged the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what he was engaging him over the first two times? Because of his humanity, this is how human he was. Because of his humanity, Satan engaged the validity of him being the son of God. You know what he said the first two times he tempted the Lord? If thou be the Son of God. If thou be the Son of God. If you're really Him, then show me something supernatural. That's what He's using. 
He's, he's baiting his humanity. And if he can use his humanity, that pride that you and I would have because there would be something in us that would respond in that hour of temptation. If he can utilize that, he will, he will break that trust and that submission that the son has to the father. Thus, he would not be able to be our savior. Do you understand? The only way he could do it, the only way he could do it though, was debate his humanity. And he did it by bringing into question whether or not he was really the son of God. Let me tell you how powerful it was. All right, let me tell you how powerful it was. When the Lord Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, you better believe there was a satanic presence there. It was a dark day. You know what that crowd was screaming? If thou be the Son of God. If you're really Him, you'll come down. If you're really Him, see that, that's His humanity. And through the pain and the suffering, He was experiencing hunger. And he said, if I be the son of God, turn the stones into bread. If you're really him. Put him up on, put him up on the, the pinnacle and he said, if you be the son of God, you can, you can pass yourself off of this temple and, and the angels are to keep you from keeping your foot to dash against the, against the stone. If you really be, if you're really him, if you're really him, come down from the cross. Save yourself. If you're really him. He's experienced such pain such humiliation. I don't believe, I don't believe saying that, that satanic power was at more at force at Calvary. Listen to me. I'm telling you, Satan was given everything he had to get him off of that cross. He did not want the Lord Jesus Christ to die. He wanted him to come down and save himself in an attempt of his humanity to prove that he was the son of God while the people of Israel are rejecting him. It was his humanity. It was his weakness. That was the only weakness that he had was that he was made like you and me. And through his humanity, he experienced the sting of sin. At Calvary, he did and experienced what he could not experience just by living. Here's what I mean by that. He was sinless, so he couldn't die. So by his own will and volition, he gave up the ghost. And he put his humanity to death of his own will for you and me. That's amazing. Let me tell you something. His humanity, the poison that entered into his humanity brought mankind the healing he required spiritually. The sin he accepted See, he couldn't, he wasn't sin, he couldn't, he wouldn't sin, he couldn't sin. But he became sin. And he allowed that venom to sink into his humanity through that heel. That humanity. He allowed that venom to come into him and he took everything it had. He be, let me tell you something, he became all sin. Do you understand? He, when he became sin, 
He didn't just become the liar. He just didn't become, took upon him the sin of a drunkard. He took upon all sin. The worst of the worst, and he took it upon himself, became that. Took in the sting of sin, that sin, that poison, and yet was perfect and holy. So, we see his humanity. We also see his humility. The heel being, Brother Ben, the lowest part of the body. I'm almost done. Um, the, the, the lowest part of, the, of, of a man's body. That's that heel. When you walk, that's the first thing you put down, unless you walk like an Indian. But that, it's, your, it's your heel that you put down. In other words, that's the lowest form, and it's in contact with the dirt of the ground. I mean, it's as low as it gets. Let me tell you something. Jesus humbled himself. Stooped himself. He was made a little lower than the angels. Brother, it went lower than that. I understand who he is. Brother, he came in contact with the worst of the worst. He come in direct contact with the worst of the worst, the chiefest of all sinners. His humility stooped to where we were at. His humility stooped to my sin. His humility stooped to your sin. No matter, no matter, no matter what you have done, I'm telling you, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the avenue of that hill, his, his, his humanity, and through his humility, he made himself, here's what he said, he made himself to be a curse for us. Here's what, here's what it is. You know all the sins that are listed that God has cursed? He's made them an abomination. In the eyes of God at Calvary, that's who the Lord Jesus Christ was. That's why it pleased the Lord to bruise him. That's why the wrath of God was poured out at Calvary. You do understand that. I'm fixing to run another message. You do understand that, Brother Jason? The wrath of God for your sin and upon my sin was poured out on one individual and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we now have mercy. That's why he's so patient with us. That's why he's so long-suffering with you, Brother Bia. It's because his wrath was satisfied at Calvary in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He stooped and became humble and obedient to the death of the cross. Numbered with the transgressor. He who knew no sin became sin. Lowered himself. Came in contact. Not just, not just with the dirt. Brother, he come in contact with the serpent's head. And every, everything that sin had to bring, every, all the power of its venom it had, he took it. Let me give you the last one. I'm done. It also represents, Brother Jason, his holiness. Because sin at Calvary gathered up everything it had. It put every bit of venom it had. 
and it slatched its venom, its teeth, its marsh. It latched him to the humanity of the Son of God because of his willingness to come to take away our sin as he stooped himself to where you and I was. As his humanity was unveiled, sin lashed out, sin bent down with everything that I had and all it could do was bruise his heel. <laughs> All sin could do was bruise his heel. All he could do was just make it sore for a moment because three short days later, he got up, hallelujah. And when he arose, he arose triumphant and victorious. And all of heaven worshiped and glorified God the Father. You know what the announcements was? Holy, holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. That was the announcement. At Calvary, I'm telling you, there was such power of his holiness that even that wicked centurion dropped to his knees and said, surely this was the Son of God. Everything that sin had, everything, all of its power, all of its depravity, all of its destructive power. He was harnessed up at Calvary and unleashed, unleashed into the humanity of God, the Son. And all it could do was bruise his heel. All it could do was put stripes on his back, put the crown of thorns in his head. More, I'm not trying to belittle that at all mar him and, and open him up, expose him and his humanity, beat him, drive the nails in his hands. All it could do was watch him suffocate upon that cross. That's all. It bruised him. I'm not belittling the bruise. I'm not belittling that, that pain and the suffering. But that's all sin could do. You and me, we would be finished. You and I, we would be in a devil's hell to suffer through eternity. But the Lord Jesus Christ in one moment took everything that we had to experience because of our sin. And thank God because he took it, you and I can have an escape from it, hallelujah, and find rescue, find redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. He arose triumphant. He arose holy. And when he ascended to the throne room, he presented holy blood with a spotless body. And God found it acceptable in his sight. Truly, truly, what a Savior is mine. No one else could do what Jesus did at Calvary. No one else could accomplish and fulfill this prophecy. No one else but Jesus. I'm so thankful to be saved. I'm so thankful for the sacrifice that the Lord made in my stead. Truly, truly, it cost him so greatly and so dearly. The humanity, his humility. But at the end of the day, I want to tell you we serve a holy God. Yes, 
and sin truly has no hold on him. The good news is this. Everything that the Lord Jesus Christ experienced at Calvary, everything that he experienced, all the victory that has now been won as a result of him finishing sin, you and I now can live in victory. Well, you know what life is about. We can serve the Lord because of this victory. If you're lost this morning, I want to let you to know, let you know tonight or this morning that you, if you walk away, if you walk away, man, how, how, how do you avoid this great salvation? When God has given you so much, presented you so much, He's took sin. I'm telling you, sin, sin's costing you everything. Sin will cost you. If you even right now, if you're holding on to it, sin will cost you. Child of God, sin will cost you. It'll cost you. I wish we'd get our mind off of what we are wanting and realize what it's costing us. When we realize what it's costing us, weighing the balance with what we're wanting, we start hating sin. We'd start hating sin. Oh, dear sinner friend, God has provided a great salvation. He's provided you a way of escape. You don't have to die and go to hell. He's, he's made victory. Made victory. Victory over sin. Victory over the grave. Victory over death. Hallelujah. I can live in victory over sin this morning. I'm not afraid of the grave because it's, death has lost its sting. Grave, it's victory because there's coming a day Amen, as a child of God, where there's resurrection to be experienced as a child of God. I may preach about that later on this week. But that's experienced, that's afforded to you. You can experience that through Christ this morning. Are you saved? And if you're saved, you can worship the Lord this morning, knowing truly what he's taken away from you. Father, thank you, Lord, for the day. Thank you for the privilege that it is to be saved part of the family of God. Thank you for the word of God. How you stirred my heart this morning. Lord, what a privilege it is to serve you. We want to thank you so much for the sacrifice that you made at Calvary. I thank you, dear Lord, for taking my place. Thank you, dear Lord, for taking my sin. Lord, and nailing it to your cross. I thank you, dear Father, for being willing being submitted to the will of your Father. Thank you so much, Lord, for your sacrifice and the victory that was wrought there. I'm so glad to know, Lord, that my hope, Lord, it completely revolves around your victory because of your holiness. I pray that we as the children of God would tap into that victory and live holy, victory over sin, and to serve you faithfully in these days. May your will be done now in this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand. The preacher's coming. And he'll dismiss us as he sees fit. Listen, before.